running. That was cool. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I just like do 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 do. Anyway, sorry. That's just how I, how I operate. Listen, we want to welcome you this morning to New Hope. If this is your first time here, no, I am not Pastor Chris. My name is Weston Weaver, and I get to serve alongside my beautiful bride, Kelsey, as the student and connection pastors here. Pastor Chris sends his best regards. He's on a cruise ship on a very well-needed, well-deserved cruise with his bride and uh, no baby. So you know they're having fun and they're having a good time. So we miss you, but y'all come back safely home. Uh, will you help me this morning welcome everyone that is watching online? Come on, can we give them a hand clap? Thank you so much. And even bigger and better for our Eunice Correctional Facility, all our men and women. Come on, show them some love. Thank y'all for watching today. And not only those who are watching today, but those who are watching this later. Good luck. Uh, prepare yourself because it's about to get intense. Listen, uh, we are going through this sermon series called Stranger Stories, and we've been talking about some strange, crazy, audacious uh, stories throughout the Bible. And listen, I want to give a disclaimer. If you are 12 years or younger, parents, if you have a 12-year-old or younger, we have some great children's ministries in the back. We want to give you that disclaimer, that that excuse now like hey you need to go get out of here because it may we're not even gonna get pg-13 we just want to cut that off at 12 and give you that opportunity if not enter at your own risk because it's about to get intense okay and uh by the way next week if you think today's story is uh intense you should wait till next week it's gonna get good pastor chris is gonna preach so we want to we want to welcome you this morning so thankful that you're here this morning this uh service this story is going to be a little edgy but we want to give you that disclaimer now on the front end our story comes out of numbers chapter 25 i want to set this up for us so that way you understand and know the context in which what is going on uh whenever we start to read so let me give you a heads up. The people of Israel are living in sin. They are living in this adulterous, debauchery lifestyle. They're living among these people called the Moabites and the Midianites. And they are living this, just this horrific lifestyle. They're not serving God. They're not worshiping God. In fact, they are worshiping other gods, specifically the God of Baal. And so they're having these Baal worships. Uh, they're, they're just living in just this adulterated sin, just not of God. And we're going to get into some other things later in the service, in the sermon, but I want to give you a heads up that literally this stemmed from something that, that really wasn't Israel's fault, but ended up leading up into this point, it was their fault because they acted on what was going on around them. So Abraham and Lot had these two kids, and, and basically Midian and Moab were the, the products of, of Abraham and Lot. And because they had Midian and Moab, now the people of Israel are living among the Moabites and the Midianites. And they're living in sin because the Moabites and the Midianites are having this influence on their culture, their influence on literally the people of Israel causing them not to live for God. The people of Israel have become tolerant of immorality. They have uh, really accepted promiscuity. It's no longer frowned upon, but in fact, it's actually embraced. In fact, this story is just imagery of the people of Israel compared to the New Testament and what is going on not only in the New Testament, but what is going on in our very own society and culture today because we're inundated with 
debauchery and adultery. And, and it's not so prevalent, but a lot of times we see it. We hear about it in our community. We hear about it and see it in other people's community. And we see it and we look upon it and we just we cringe a little bit because where has our world and our culture gone? Forty years earlier, coming out of Egypt, this, this lifestyle would have never been heard of. It wouldn't have been thought of because they were so thankful just to come out of slavery and their focus and their, their attention was on God because he had saved them. He had brought them out of slavery. He had brought them across the Red Sea on dry ground, right? It was all of these things that they had focus and they had attention on, he, on, on God and on him alone. It was nothing else. It was nobody else, but, but now... They're, they're living in sin, and they're worshiping Baal, not even a god. They're, they've turned away, and Moses has basically gathered the people together. They've, they've literally come to their senses, some of them, and they said, listen, we've got to turn away from these evil things, and we've got to focus our attention and give our all to God. We've got to worship. So Moses calls them all together. They're having what they call a tent of meetings because literally they live in tents, circling around the desert, wandering after the promised land. And now all of a sudden, we get to this place. And I want you to understand something, that this story is a byproduct of God saying, enough is enough. I know many of us may read this story or hear this story today, and we may kind of... Ooh, that, I don't know about that. And even the world, if they heard this story, they would probably read over the Bible and say, see, that's why I don't like the Bible. See, that's why I don't like this whole religion thing. And I don't like Jesus and all this crazy stuff because they got people doing crazy stuff in the Bible. But watch this. We may see that and, be, and cringe a little bit, but this is a story that literally we have to get to a place that's like, you know what? God's just looking for us to make a stand. And if we're not going to stand for anything, we've got to stand for something. So this is where we pick up in our story. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Amen. Numbers chapter 25, verse 6 says this. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. This woman that this Israelite man is bringing in and around the people of Israel during this time, you have to understand that they were basically having church, y'all. They were having church. And this Israelite man flaunts what is to be known as a prostitute around the congregation. And this is what happens. While they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting, verse 7, when Phineas the son of Eleazar, everybody say Phineas. Now here's the thing, I don't want y'all to be confused with Phineas. Phineas is not Phineas and Ferb, okay? He's got a weird name, but the brother is cool. In my, in my eyes, the dude's a gangster. Straight thug, all right? Are you ready? Because it's about to get good. All right. So Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it. He rose and he left the congregation. And he took a spear in his hand. <laughs> oh, it's going to get good. And went after the man of Israel into the chamber. That's a bedroom, y'all. I'm just going to give you a heads up. That's what's going down, okay? He went into the chamber where the man and the woman were, and he pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Just don't visualize, but I want you to understand what's going on. Anybody like shish kebabs? No, not anymore. Okay. <laughs> Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Phineas 
is a bad man. Took that spear and made them pay for what they had done and what they were doing. Caught them in the act, y'all. Like straight up like, not today, devil, not today. He took that spear and literally stabbed both of them. Guys, this is, this is an intense, like this is a strange story. Like you read this and it's like, no, he didn't. Like, oh my gosh. Like, why would, why, why would Phineas go to all these links and, and he would do this? And listen, you have to understand that this Israelite man was so separated from God that he was flaunting and parading this prostitute woman, this Midianite woman around before everybody and their mama. Literally, they're having church. They're weeping before God. They're confessing their sins. They are distraught. They are, God, we have messed up, and we are weeping before you. And this guy just walks in. She fine, huh? Look at her. And Phineas finally says, enough is enough. I can't take it. I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand no more of it, right? So he grabs a spear just from wherever, and goes and stabs them. He's not playing no games. He literally made a stand right in front of Moses and the other priests. While they were having a church service, this guy made the wrong decision. I have three points for you today. If you're taking notes, you can actually find them on the back of your bulletin, or you can actually find them in our website, on our website at unischurch.com notes. We've left you a lot of room. We've simplified notes today, so you can take some notes extra on them. Number one, our flesh can affect our humanity. Our flesh can affect our humanity. Now, I know some of you may say, well, wait, aren't flesh and humanity aren't they pretty much the same don't they they coexist i want you to understand something that your flesh can really be your your behavior in which you you operate in every single day and our behavior if not careful will ultimately lead to a permanent lifestyle that we live every day if we're not doing what we're supposed to do if we're not making the plans and making the decisions and making the changes that god has called us to make along the way it could have in results that we never planned to have. You understand? Flesh can determine and affect our humanity. We have to understand something, that our belief is based off of our, or excuse me, our behavior is based off of our belief. We have to understand that if our belief is found in Jesus, the Savior of the world, then our behavior will reflect that of our Savior. Does that make sense? You understanding that? So we have to get to this place that we know that the enemy is going to come in because, again, if you, are, if you are living for Jesus, then you have a target on your back. You've probably heard that before if you've grown up in any, any church service at any length in time. If you're going in the right direction and you're doing exactly what God's called you to do, then you have a target on your back. And then the enemy's going to come in after you, and he's going to get you. But sometimes we've got to get to a place, y'all, where we just remind the devil where he is. Right? Like that old song, like that old adage. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. The devil is under my feet. Right? Y'all think Pastor John is up here getting Jesus. He's just stomping on the devil. Right? I know that, like, I know that that's kind of funny. It's like, man, Pastor Weston, you're a little young to know that song, but it's so good, right? The enemy is being defeated. Yeah, come on. It's, it's one of those things that we just, we remind ourselves because the enemy tries to come in all the time and mess us up and, and remind us of our flesh and tempt us with our weaknesses. 
His tactic is to aim at our weaknesses and try to attack us when we are at our weakest. But 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, we are all children of God. We talked about it this morning. You are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you, Jesus, has overcome he who is in the world, the devil. So we should understand and know that where is he? He's under my feet. You'll never forget that, right? With the little Carlton dance, you know? It's one of those. Some of y'all get that. Y'all been watching too much Fresh Prince. We have to use self-control regardless of what the devil says. Regardless of what he comes and tries to attempt us with, we cannot succumb to the temptation that he tries to throw at, throw at us. Watch this. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are then saved. You understand that. But, but watch this. When salvation happens and it occurs in our life, something else happens as well. It's called sanctification. You are now holy. You are now pure. But that is not just a one-time thing. It's not just a, oh, there I am, I'm good to go, I'm covered by the blood, I'm covered in his grace. No, watch this. Sanctification is, is a daily process. It's, it's, the, it's the, literally the scripture, I pick up my cross daily and follow him. It's one of those things that we have to understand that Jesus is calling us to live like him daily. This sanctification process, watch this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, May God himself... The God of peace sanctify you through and through. Notice it didn't just say sanctified you through. It's through and through is daily. It's, it's continual. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Something that I love about that scripture is that may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless, right, without sin, Without, without conviction, without these things in our life, without dirt, grump, you know, grime and, and nastiness, without, without the junk in our life, at the coming, until, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to understand that, that again, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and we're walking blameless, we don't just walk blameless just that one day and it's like, thank you, Jesus, appreciate that, and then live however we want to after that. Because I was saved that one time at, at you know, church camp, and, I, and it was a good service. Yeah, but how are you living now? Are you living the same way? Or have you retracted back to, to what it feels like to live like the world and, and to do what culture says is okay? No, I want to be blameless until the coming, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be the same. as the, I want to progress in my relationship with Jesus every single day, and I don't want to just be stuck. Oh, I was good there. Again, what would happen if I just left my, my relationship, how good it was whenever I married my bride, right? Six and a half years ago, oh, it was a good wedding service. It was pretty. It was awesome. I loved her. But then we wouldn't, you know, progress any, anything from there. Our relationship was just stuck right where it was. Listen, your, your wedding day is, is like your salvation day. The day you gave your heart to Jesus, the day I gave my heart to my bride, it was hers. But I don't just stop there. I've got a continual process, a daily living with her that I progress in my relationship her, with her every single day. A relationship is continual. It's not just a one-day thing. And so sanctification happens. Watch this. There's a difference between a process of sanctification and grossly extending grace in areas it was never intended. Let me explain. Pastor Johnny, my mentor, youth pastor growing up, he says it like this, sloppy grace. Sloppy grace says, well, it's okay, Jesus will forgive me of that. 
But sanctification says, Jesus forgave me of that. Why would I ever go back? Sloppy grace says, well, if I look and don't touch, I'm okay. Jesus will forgive me. But sanctification says, God has given me eyes of purity. And even if I look upon that person with lustful intent, I am committing adultery in my heart. Matthew 5, 27. Sanctific- or sloppy grace says, justifications with excuses. Sanctification says, daily communion with God, with Jesus Christ. Listen, church, we cannot let our flesh overcome where Jesus has provided freedom. Let me say that again. We cannot let flesh overcome where Jesus has provided freedom. We've got to get to a place where living with him is a daily experience and a relationship with him. Number two, we have to understand that our passivity affects our culture. Our passiveness, our laid-backness. I alluded to it earlier, but the reason why the people of Israel were in the situation that they were in was mainly because of Abraham and Lot's decision to live outside of God's will. So Abraham was promised to have a son, to have a child, and he was going to have this child with Sarah. But whenever he got tired of waiting in God's timing, (laughs) he kind of got restless a little bit. He had a relationship outside of God's will, and the product of that relationship was, of course, as I explained earlier, was Moab. But we have to understand that this also happened because they were surrounded by the Midianites. Lot had a son named Midian. Midian is the product of Lot's daughters having an ancestral relationship with him, and the product of that was Midian. So out of the will of God's relationships that these men had, God had destined them to have godly relationships with their wives, but because they chose to live outside of that, Two sons were born that would be the father of two nations, two, two different people that would end up becoming the reason why the Israelites were in the situation in the first place. That, that they were living in sin. The people of Israel were living in sin, being tempted by these people because they worshipped Baal and they had a debaucherous lifestyle that they lived by. And they are the product of Abraham and Lot choosing to be passive not choosing to keep their guard up, not choosing to, to hold ground and stay firm in their, the lifestyle that God had called them to live. So inevitably, they would have been a little, had they been a little bit more proactive in their approach, not passive, then the people of Israel wouldn't be dealing with this situation in the first place. And in fact, it's now because of the passivity of the Israelites that they're living in that they worship God out of crisis and they worship Baal out of convenience. Because it was convenient for them to worship Baal because everything was going right and dandy and everything was glorious. But yet, when everything was going wrong, who did they call upon? God. It's kind of like we, what we do sometimes. I'm sorry. I, just, I won't go there. It's one of those things that, like, when things are rough and tough and, <laughs> man, Pastor Weston, like, man, my dog died. And, uh, man, I failed homework. We get these things in student ministry, okay? You know, I didn't do my homework, so my teacher failed me. (laughs) So I just need Jesus to help me touch my life. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, yes, okay, Jesus can help you. But when everything's great, glorious, and wonderful, and you're living in sin, you ain't calling upon Jesus then, are you? Because everything's going well, and everything's going right, and you hadn't been caught yet. (laughs) 
We worship God out of convenience. It's convenient for us. What happens is our household is often affected by our passivity. Our culture, we have to understand that culture has made sin funny. And I, guys, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching to us as a couple and as a family ourselves. A lot of times we, we let TV shows and movies enter into our household that do not have the most godliest things. And I'm not saying that TV is sin, but I'm saying what's on the TV and what you allow to play in your household can be sin. And your passivity to turn off the channel, to turn off the TV and do something about it. And let, instead of letting your son or your daughter see what's on TV, why don't we do something about it and stop being passive and stop being reserved? Oh, it's okay. They don't understand. Oh, it's, all, it's harmless. It's not a big deal when it is a big deal. If we would just make a stand for what we believe in instead of being passive and reserved, and it's like, oh, it's okay, it'll be all right. God has called us not to be passive, but to be forthright. And before you know it, the enemy entices us with passivity and becomes about what culture is, and we end up adopting it and adapting it. When God never called us to adapt to culture, in fact, Jeff Abel says it like this, when it comes to culture, we have to decide it, define it, declare it, develop it, and defend it. At the end of the day, culture is not going to be decided for me. I'm going to decide what it is in my household for my family. Growing up, I grew up in church my whole life. My grandfather was a pastor, and uh, I used the water baptismal as a jacuzzi. It was awesome. It was great, y'all. But uh, grow, growing up in church, I knew the right things to do. I knew the right things to say and what not to do, things like that. And I, uh, of course, whenever I became a teenager, things went south very quickly. You know, I was, I was in high school, public high school. Not that public high school is in or anything like that. But I just, I started becoming passive in some, some very critical moments in relationships, honestly, in my life. I, I ended up becoming what you would probably consider a womanizer. I had uh, eight relationships, I think, in about three years, in the span of two and a half to three years, just relationship after relationship, trying to fill a void that only God can fill. And inevitably, it ended up leading me up into this one relationship. I started dating this girl at 18. And uh, because I was passive through several moments in my relationship with her, it, it, inevitably it led me to a moment one night where I ended up losing my virginity. And I tell you that story not to say, oh, look at me, but I, I tell you that story in regards to understand and know that it wasn't the one-night decision that, that got me in trouble. It was the thousands of decisions that led me up into that point. The thousands of decisions that I chose to be passive on. I chose to, oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, oh Jesus will forgive me. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, the, well, I mean, the world says that's okay. I, I mean, if nobody knows about it, then it's not going to harm anybody. And it was a thousand passive decisions that I just chose not to say anything and to be reserved about and to keep quiet. And all of a sudden, it led me down in this very dark road that ended up making me lose my ministry at a very early age and learning the hard way. Church, I tell you that to say this, passivity, if not addressed, eventually turns into apathy and apathy will lead to death. That's why in our student ministry, we teach and preach our students that we have to passionately pursue purity. Because if we're pa not passionately pursuing purity, then what are we passionately pursuing? Number three, 
Our fervor affects our family. Our fervor affects our family. I want to continue reading in this passage, but I want you to understand that the zeal and the fervor that we have, that we choose to lead with in our family, it will be the direct result of the mindset and the character in which our family lives with. Watch this. This is, again, just a continuation. Numbers chapter 25, verse 10 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous for my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I give him a covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants, and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Church, there's something to be said about your zealousness and fervor to affect the people around you. Because watch, Phineas's zealousness and his passion and his pursuit after purity didn't just affect him. Jesus, God ended up affecting his whole family after that. God blessed his descendants it was because of his, his fervency, it was because of his zeal, it was because of his passion that he went after God and he said, it's not today, I'm not gonna allow this to happen. And it ended up blessing his family. Parents, can I tell you that when you choose to be passionate about the things that God has called you to be passionate about, when you step up to the plate and you start leading your family like God is calling you to lead them, can I tell you, it does something miraculous for your family, just as it did for Phineas. It blessed his descendants. God used that moment to teach Phineas something incredible and to teach us something today, that your actions today and what you do for your family, for this community, will speak volumes, not for your generation, but for the generations to come. Out of your zealousness to honor God, he will honor you and yours. Phineas was willing to go above and beyond extreme measures to see to it that righteousness and holiness of God was recognized. He was so desperate after God that he was willing to do anything it took to get back the relationship with him, to get in right relationship with him. And because he chose to be the change, he chose to mess up status quo. His family, his descendants benefited from the desperation and the zealousness that he had. Church, how desperate are we? How desperate are our prayers? James 5.16 says that it's the effective and the fervent prayers of a righteous that avails much. Not just throwing up a genie in the bottle prayer. Come on, Jesus, I need this. Grant this wish for me. Come on, Jesus but it's your effective, fervent, zealous, passionate. God, today I just proclaim that my daughter would have just the best day she's ever had. God, that you would heal her. God, that you would build up her immune system. Like, I'm not telling you you have to pray like me because sometimes I just say stupid stuff because we're human. But like, the effective and the fervent, like are you desperately going after Jesus with everything you have? What's the last audacious, crazy, bizarre thing that you did for your family? 
instead of being passive a lot of times? Are we, are we being fervent? Are we being zealousness? Are we having a zealousness after him? See, Phineas had a zeal and a passion and a desperation that brought change to him and his family. Sometimes we need to get to a place where we say to ourselves, what in my life do I need to take and pierce the spear through? What holds me back? What are the obstacles? What are the barriers? What is the sin in my life? And it may not be necessarily sin. It may not be this huge ungodliness, but what in your life do you need to start cutting and getting rid of? What in your life do you need to take the spear through and stab just to proclaim victory over your family? What is it in your life that we need to cut away? Sure, we can make all the excuses in the world about everybody else and point the finger at everybody else. Listen, we are kings and queens of justification. We can justify and we can throw out all the excuses in the world why it's okay or why it's not okay, while our, while our lifestyles are okay this way but not okay in this way, while our wrongdoings are not all that wrong. We can shift the blame, point the finger somewhere else, but we have got to get to a place where we say, it starts with me. Phineas was willing to pick up a spear and change his current circumstance. But don't use Phineas as an excuse to start stabbing everyone else around you when you're not willing to start with yourself. We've got to get to a place where we're willing to take the spear and cut away the things that God has not called us to have in our life. We discount ourselves, church, when we choose not to do inventory in our own life before we go stabbing anyone else because of their sin, we must be sure to evaluate where we are and where God has called us to be. So listen, with that said, every head bowed, every eye closed, don't worry, I'm not gonna throw the spear at you. You can trust me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You sit here today and you say, Pastor Weston, I know I have some things in my life that I need to get rid of. I know I have some things in my life that I need to stab the spear through, that I need to get rid of because they keep me from living like Jesus. They keep me from having the lifestyle that Jesus has called me to live. I'm not going to focus or divert my attention on anything else or anybody else because it's not about them. They don't determine my lifestyle. Only I do that. Jesus, what is it in my life that I need to change? Or maybe for some of you, who in your lifestyle do you need to change? You sit here today and you say, I need to be closer with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus needs to be better. Or, or you may sit here and you say, I need one. I need a relationship with Jesus. If that is you, would you be so bold to raise your hand and say, that's me. Come on, all over this room, all over this room. I see you. I see you. I see you in the back. I see you guys. I see you, sweetheart. I see you, buddy. I see you, man. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? I see you. Amen. Praise God. Listen, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, here at New Hope, we believe in the prayer of salvation, a prayer of confession. In fact, the word is very clear in Romans 10. 
It talks about if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, then you would be saved. We're going to pray that prayer together. We're going to pray this prayer, and we're going to believe in our heart that Jesus can work miracles, that he can resurrect us. He can resurrect something in our life. Come on, church, if you raised your hand, even if you didn't, we're going to pray this prayer together as a congregation. Say, Jesus, I need you. I repent of my past. I repent of my sin, and I let it go. I ask that you have your way in me. Take my life. Make it yours. Do something new, something fresh, like never before in my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give Jesus some praise. Amen.